City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City, City Limits. OK, and City Limits is on the air again. It's the second Tuesday of the month, the day we deal with energy-related issues. And um, today, Meg Kimber's in here helping Good morning. Out. Meg, you're co-presenting. and uh, Yes. I'm Kevin Healy, and we are, um, as I say, it's Energy Day, and we've got two guests today. We've got a woman <coughs> called Bev Smiles, who comes from up in the Hunter Valley, and we're going to talk to her about the impact of coal mining in the Hunter Valley, mm-hmm. uh, and um, maybe because of the, well, the government seems to think it isn't worth discussing at this stage, the fact mm. that there is the odd bushfire that may, or the intensity of at least, and <sighs> ferocity of... Um, and frequency of uh, comes down a bit to coal, I would have thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, absolutely. And the other interview, there's, there's a, we're playing a promotion at the moment for a um, stand-up for stand-up for something. Forest? Forest, no, stand-up for it's something. I've got it written nature. down here. Nature, that's it. Stand-up for nature. Um, <laughs> quick, quick, quick quiz first thing in the morning. Stand-up for A, nature, B, forest. Right, that's it. C, doesn't climate. matter, all the same. And yeah. it's uh, it's tomorrow fortnight, that I think it is, um, that rally. And uh, we're going to talk to Matt Ruckel from Matt Raquel from the Victorian National Parks Association in the second half of the program about that. So uh, that, that's the program today, and I've managed to just realise I've left my reading glasses at home, so I'm oh, going to so be I'll a have to do real the strife then. with a lot of this. Just pass me the pile of papers. <laughs> but, but we'll be right. Um, <laughs> and uh, the, um, But a couple of things I wanted to raise, because uh, the government, as we know, and I'll pour a cup of tea first. Um, Meg, you, well, you, if you're going to do news, mm-hmm. you can just say something. Oh, I don't have any news. I'd, what? I, I'd what? never read the... Herald Sun, or you know, I don't, I don't, um, I don't watch the news. I don't have a television. I don't know why uh, I'm on this sh- program. No, if people, a lot of people say that actually. But anyway, <laughs> um. <laughs> a lot of the letters that we get are, um, are just like, why does it make know what's going on? Exactly. No, 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 no. Meg knows what's going on. She yep. just, uh, that's exactly I'm right. Pretending. But the, um, but. The government, as we know, um, plans to make or plans to bring in what they brought in years ago for unions, secondary boycotts, where you, you stop someone who, uh, for instance, if someone's on strike and other unions go out in support, that's a secondary boycott. And that was, uh, that was knocked off um, by the wreath and other legislations going back to the 90s, etc., and the government wants to use the same about protest now, that if you protest and you're holding up mm-hmm. a company, it's a secondary boycott of that company, and therefore um, it's going to be made illegal to protest effectively, mm-hmm. under Morrison's idea. They tried to do that in Tasmania. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, right. just make protest illegal and um, didn't succeed. Bob Brown took it to one of the higher courts. That's right, yeah. and he won. That's right. Yeah, he but did. The, the, um, he's a legend. Well, a number of people have come out against it. In fact, the, the Law Institute here, the Law Council, came out and attacked it. And although I can't actually read what's there, uh, what they did say was that um, it, it's, it's counter to normal legal rights, etc. That's pro- yeah, you can have a look at it. There's a couple of bits there I've marked in red you might be able to read out. But uh, it's, um, they, they make the point oh. that the government's being hypocritical because at the same time as it's fighting for 
freedom for religion. Mm. It's saying you can't have freedom for protest or having a different point of view, He's, which is an interesting point. Law Council President Arthur Moses SC said that it seems rather odd that at a time when the government is championing what it considers appropriate legislation to protect religious freedoms in Australia, that it is looking at implementing measures that may stifle the right to freedom of speech and freedom of choice on environmental issues. Mm. Good point. And they've, and they've come out very strongly against what the government wants to do. But simultaneous to that last week... Um, in London, because the Extinction Rebellion protest there, you might recall, mm-hmm. the police used a, a facet, used an element of the law to close, trying to stop altogether. And so just by protesting, you were being illegal as far as the police were, con- police were concerned. What was this? A new, was this, this is, a new law? Uh, but no, it's a law that's already there, but oh. it's, a, it's a law that they, they used um, against the, protest, the Extinction Rebellion protesters. And lots of them were, lots of, not the police, lots of the protesters were arrested. Yes. Uh, but it went to the High Court in London last week and the judges ruled, in fact, that the police were quite illegal in using that bit of law uh. and the people had every right to protest protest, which is an interesting breakthrough. Yeah. And it now means that all those people charged will have to, it's assumed that all the people charged now, the charges will have to be dropped. Ah, um, interesting. So um, that was just an interesting development uh, on that same point, yeah. Mm. Which is all very good. Mm. Um, now, of course, we've got um, our old mate Woolworths, who casually underpaid staff by $300 million. And they say they're going to do their best. They apologise and they're all very sorry about it. Yet there were stories in the Age of Week or so ago, of course, that pointed out that they they had extended the whole thing and tried to drag it out and, and cover it up and do all sorts of things. Uh, They'd known about it for ages. Well, would you believe? Yes, they had. <laughs> what? Well, I mean, well, I mean, we've said many times, and there was a letter in the Age that made the same point uh, that we never see any um, over. If it was if it was fair dinkum, just you know, they just unfortunately. Uh, made a, a small mistake, an inadvertent mistake, then you'd expect on the balance of probabilities, like tossing a coin, mm-hmm. half the mistakes to go to the workers and be overpaid and mm. half to be underpaid, but no one's ever been overpaid. Uh, it's just no. inadvertently underpaid all the time. Isn't it amazing? Uh, uh, it's funny that it's all coming out now with all these different organisations, like big and small ones. I suppose seven. I think when the Seven Eleven one happened was probably when it first sort of started being talked about mm. actually publicly in the media. But yeah. everybody who works in any of those industries, anyone who works in hospitality, knows that they're not getting paid like yeah. penalty rates or getting paid the appropriate amount. They're getting paid cash in hand. So it's like it's yep. rife. Yeah, that's but, right. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, there's a there's a, a 45 million class action against um, mining companies. Um, it's actually a, a hire company that, that in fact hires out the workers work for mining companies and it's now been cl- uh, claimed that they've underpaid their workers by 45 mil. So it's just, they're just coming up all the time. Yeah. And there you are. But um, this one uh, is interesting because the, the state government's putting through legislation about work deaths where, in fact, bosses can go to jail and be really seriously heavily fined. Mm. Um, but the bosses claim this is the most terrible thing that's ever happened because, um, you know, you're going to get innocent people locked up. You know, what mm. they make the point, what, you know, why should the boss be blamed if the workers created the unhealthy situation in mm. their workplace, for instance, mm. um, etc. So, mm. uh, and they're very upset because they, the government consulted various parties before drawing up the legislation. And, of course, the, 
the employer said, well, there should be no legislation. We shouldn't have to go to jail. We shouldn't right. have to pay heavy fines because we are, inadvertently we managed to murder workers. But they're very upset because the government seemed to ignore them. They say, well, this is terrible. They consulted us, but they, but there's nothing we said <laughs> in the legislation. But like The uh, fact that there is legislation is, is, uh, is, is defying them because they wanted no legislation at all. But anyway, they're very uh, upset about that. Well, that, that is kind of unusual for <laughs> industry to be ignored by government. <laughs> it is, yeah. That's, it is a, that is a surprise. Yeah. That's probably why they're so that's, bloody they're surprised. Shocked. I they're understand trying. why they're shocked. Yeah. I am a little bit shocked as well. Exactly. Yeah. They, they couldn't believe it. It's a bit. I'm going to raise it with um, when we talked to Bev Smiles. But early, we we did on this program. We talked about the, um, Justice Preston in the New South Wales Land and Environment Court member par, um, blocking a coal mine. Oh yeah. And the coal miners at the time all came out and said, "Look, this is terrible. He, he's ignoring the law uh, because from their point of view, the law was they could do what they bloody well liked." And uh, right. Yeah, anyway, that was that was that. We might raise it later because it does affect. It was in the Hunter Valley that. Oh uh, yeah. Um, and then David Morgan, who um, is an ex-head of of uh, Westpac. Um, I knew him when he was at La Trobe as a student. He was Mushy Morgan in those days. He came and played a practice game at Richmond, actually. Oh, and, old um, friends. That's right, yeah. yeah. Anyway, haven't seen Mushy for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, um, he, he, um, anyway, he, he's now coming out defending the banks and it's been I think we've mentioned it before it's ever since the Royal Commission they keep coming out saying look all those recommendations are going to imp- you know impose hardships because we won't be able to lend it's going to affect the whole economy uh-huh. yeah. it's going to restrict us and he's actually called it a jihad against the banks oh um, which would seem to totally ignore or ignore totally um having split an infinitive um the the findings of the Royal Commission and the evidence before it, I would have thought. Yeah, because um, the Royal Commission sort of, I'm pretty sure it found out that the banks weren't doing very yeah. good things for no, their customers. No, it was a, yeah. it was a touch ordinary. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, they um, that's what they want to do, and he calls it a jihad. So, and the government's sympathising. In fact, just last week, the government came out and said maybe the Reserve Bank could actually loan give low very very low interest loans to the banks so they could then loan that money out <laughs> uh, obviously at higher interest rates than the, <laughs> but uh, I, I thought it's that quite was what amazing. the reserve, isn't, isn't that what the reserve bank does anyway is just give well, money prob- to the bank. probably but the but the you know the fact is that apropos or rising out of the royal commission suddenly we're giving the banks money yeah uh, which i is mean terrific. look per- makes perfect yeah. sense yeah um, yes yeah and uh, look, we'll go to we'll go to Bev shortly. But it's interesting that a number of um, with the fires this week and with the whole climate change discussion, government yeah. ignoring it, the opposition uh, being still pretty lukewarm on the whole thing and going to get <gasps> lukewarmer, I suspect. Yeah, lukewarm or something. Yeah, um, the, a number of big businesses are coming out and very strongly. Um, uh, so saying we need to do something urgently because a lot yep. of businesses in various areas realise it's going to cost them. Yes. Uh, and you've yes. actually got the authority saying to them they have to take climate change into account in their, mm. in their, in their bookkeeping. Uh, and so there's, there's lots of them and there's even Holmes of Court, the son of Robert Holmes of Court, he's yep. become an environmentalist of some sort and he actually mm. wants to fund lots of candidates, um, independent candidates running on climate issues in elections. In Australia? Uh, do you in mean? Australia, yeah. yeah right. um, That'd be nice. So, well, yes. Yeah. Uh, 
And Qantas even wants to slash its emissions, although it's a bit difficult if it keeps flying planes around mm. the world, but it talks about offsets. And uh, oh, um, I'm not sure that offsets are all that good because you're still going to, the, the original pollution still takes exactly. place. So I'm, I don't yeah. know that that's the best result. And in fact, the, no. the clean energy, whatever it's called, the fund that um, gives money for clean energy, has just given $9 million to a carbon offset startup company, which is going to uh, flog offsets as a. As a to, yeah. to companies as a, as a business. Yeah. yeah. Um, this becomes another kind of economic thing. And if you're working within neoliberalism, then it just keeps happening the same way, basically. That's right. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, and one of the big companies that's really into, into supporting the environment is BHP, because we know they've always yes. had a great feel oh, for the environment yeah. and, uh, Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, their yeah. workers and everything else. Mm. Uh, and they've come out and said they really, you know, they really care a hell of a lot and um, the, the head of it came out and really got into his green credentials at the annual general meeting last week. Wow. Unfortunately, the same week it was reported <laughs> that um, they, they want to actually invest lots more in oil and gas. Ah. And they, they say that oil is going to be, despite electric cars, oil is going to be around for the foreseeable future as a, as a driver, etc. So, you know, I, I'm not sure how that marries their credentials as a green company, but anyway, they are. They tell us they are. Mm. Which is pretty good. And um, in, his, in his speech last week, Jeremy Corbyn, by the way, in Britain, said he would seriously address climate change. He didn't say how, but let's hope he... Well, I'm sort of like he probably would, actually, so let's hope. Look, let's get on to Beb Smiles and stop all this rubbish that I can't read anyway. Yep. I carved you into me Like the paintings on your stone My stomach hard inside Your stomach hard inside Where is your through my veins 
listening to City Limits on 3CR and um, that was Alice Skye singing You Are the Mountains. Right, and um, way over the mountains from City Limits of Melbourne to, <laughs> we're really extending it, <laughs> to uh, the Hunter Valley of New South Wales. On the line we've got Bev Smiles. Bev near, lives near Mudgee, a place, place, is it called Walla where you live, Bev? That's right. Yes. Oh, right, yes, well, thank Gab Reed at 3CR, got it right, she's wonderful. Um, and um, you're, um, you've been part of a long-term campaign fighting coal mining in the Hunter Valley, um, yet we're told by government and others that this is essential for our economy and for jobs, etc. And we get the impression from the last election that these areas just love coal. Um, why are you opposed to it? Well, not everyone that lives near a coal mine, I can assure you, loves coal. And what's happened in the Hunter Valley is we've had whole communities uh, wiped out completely. And uh, the, the largest owner of land in a number of the local government areas now is mining companies. So we've lost a lot of uh, farmers uh, from the region and there's impacts on other industries. So it's not all good news for the economy at all. Yeah, and the long-term campaign you've been fighting, um, how's it going? Are you, are you having success? Well, look, we've, we've actually had some good decisions recently. Uh, one of those is the Independent Planning Commission of New South Wales rejected uh, the proposed bylong mine. Uh, the proponent for that was uh, KEPCO, a government-owned Korean company, that wanted to open-cut uh, some very good prime agricultural land with important groundwater sources and the Independent Planning Commission uh, rejected uh, that mine because of the impacts on those really important um, resources for Australia, which is good land and water to grow food on. Mm. The water is a really essential part of um, all of these issues with mining, isn't it? Apart from the bigger issues of climate change, there's also the on-the-ground issues of water use, isn't there? Uh, well, again, in the Hunter, because the mining industry is so large, uh, they also own uh, quite a lot of the water licences mm. uh, from the Hunter River. They're also exempted from a lot of the rules in water-sharing plans that uh, farmers and other people have to comply with. Mm. Uh, they have a huge impact on the groundwater systems and the base flows to our rivers. And, you know, people that have lived in the Hunter region for a long time, for generations, 
are really very concerned about the long-term legacy and the economic impacts of that loss of water that is currently going on with the scale of the industry here in the Hunter. Mm. Mm. Treberson Baker, who owns the Vales Point mine, a coal mine, and he, he came out at a conference recently and argued that the best solution for the future was in fact to restart a lot of these mines they're trying to close down, that keeping old coal mines going and was, was cheaper than building new facilities, etc. and therefore we should just keep building more and more or develop or extending more and more the life of all these coal mines. Your, your thoughts on that? Well, actually, it's the power station that he owns that he, he bought for a peppercorn mm. off the New South Wales government. So he was actually talking about keeping these old dinosaur power stations going, um, which is just um, ludicrous because they have a heap of problems, including the amount of water they have to use. Mm. Uh, and they haven't had um, the maintenance expenditure uh, that was required to, to keep them safe, even. So, you know, Trevor's in a position to, to make a lot of money if power stations stay open. Um, the, the whole industry here in Australia is a key problem, and it is the coal industry and its influence on governments, both state and federal, um, that is preventing us from moving forward and generating new jobs in new renewable energy industries. Mm. <clears throat> Can you give us an understanding, Bev, of how many coal mines are operating in the area and what kind of local campaigns are, are, are responding to them? Okay, so we've got you know, over 30 very large open-cut mines in the Hunter we, and there's underground mining attached to a number of them as well. Uh, so we have the air quality currently in the Hunter region is absolutely abysmal. So we have, through community campaign, got a regional air quality monitoring network set up and in this drought and with the dust being generated mm. from the mines, the whole region is exceeding the national standards for air quality on a daily basis. Mm. So we have doctors standing up saying, what is going on here? You know, our patients with respiratory problems, asthma, uh, heart conditions are really suffering in this poor air quality. So we have campaigns running over the air quality issues, mm. which, is, which is, you know, deteriorating significantly at the same time as there's proposals for big expansions of mines. So one mm. of the communities that's really getting activated at the moment is uh, the Musselbrook community. They have a big open-cut mine that you can look into when you stand at the town shopping centre. So mm. it's right on top of the town and they're proposing to keep expanding. Um, and, and the air quality for most people, as well as the impacts on other industries, including the horse breeding industry, which the Hunter Valley is world famous for and it's another critical industry in our area besides growing grapes, Mm. Um, and 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 producing some of the world's best wine, mm. you know, all our other industries are being severely impacted by um, the the continued expansion of coal mining in the Hunter. So, mm. you know, we have we have pockets of people and small communities spread around all over the place, just trying to protect the amenity of where they live. Mm. 
Mm. Yeah, and just back to Travis and Baker, by the way, Canavan, the um, the Federal Resources Minister, he came out last week and said he su- he supports the extension of that uh, that mine. And also said, of course, that we we need to do we need more coal. If we don't have old King Coal, he said uh, we can't do many of the things Australia you know likes doing, like presumably like rising sea levels, floods, fires, all the all the catastrophes that are occurring. Well, and and that's exactly right. If if, if there was a really honest look at what is currently going on in Australia and the costs um, to the to the government and to people's lives. I mean, what is your quality of life? What mm. is your standard of living when you're sleeping on the floor of the local club because your house is just burnt down? Mm. I mean, you know, the reality of, um, you know, people like Matt Canavan totally in the pocket of the coal industry. He's become their convenient mouthpiece and... You know, really, uh, I'm starting to feel like it's criminal behaviour mm. because of the damage to our, to our economy and to our citizens that, that is currently, you know, being being watched uh, on the nightly news with these catastrophic fire days. Mm. How are they affecting you, by the way? Are they close? Or... Well, we were lucky this time round. Um, there is there is a large fire to the south of us. But we had our catastrophic fire day uh, with our village under threat in uh, 2017. But we were very lucky at the time. There were two large fires in our district, but they were the only big fires in the state. Mm. So we got Mm. lots of resources to help us. But what's going on now is the future. And yesterday, here, with the wind and the dust levels, it, it was just you know, the pits of hell. Mm. And I, I was saying to my family last night, well, this is going to be a normal summer's day in a couple of years' time, what we've just experienced. And it was absolutely horrific. Mm. And Bev, is, is there any support locally within the, in the um, councils or local governments um, that you're aware of? Well, it's interesting. Um, in the Hunter, there's um, Singleton Council's pretty well captured by the industry. Yeah. Uh, Musselbrook Council has a bit of a different approach, um, and they're certainly not supportive of any more expansion mm. um, in the Shire. Mm. And then um, Midwest Regional Council, which is um, the council where I live, totally in the pockets of the industry. Mm. So, I mean, the industry's very good at picking off community leaders mm. and, 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 and getting them to be spokespeople. But there's a real concern about conflict of interest and actual outright corruption right. as far as local government's concerned. Yes, a very close line, I would have thought. Um, but uh, you mentioned about the pollution levels. Um, if if there are, and we've argued that down here with things like lead in lead with kids and in in kindergartens, etc. Um, if there's a standard, then if it's not met, surely the government and the company should be forced to meet it. So if it's going over, they should be forced to 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 bring it down to the the often the World Health Association or whatever level of uh, what the pollution ought to be, which is, a, and I always argue anyway, pollution's only allowed to allow it to happen. Well, we have an, 
Environmental Protection Agency in New South Wales that's also totally captured. Mm. Um, and because yeah. of the, you know, we <laughs> seems, had a it seems like a national national situation. Mm. I would have thought we got the same thing here, of course. Yeah. yeah. Well, at least yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> we haven't had an ALP government here for a number of years, mm. but things seem to to get even worse mm. um, when you've got you know um, the National Party in key portfolios, mm. um, and but also. We know that here in New South Wales, Department of Health is quite concerned about the uh, dust levels in the Hunter, but they're basically told to sit down and shut up, um, and the same as the EPA. So it's either turn a blind eye or pretend that you're actually doing something. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the increased approvals that have gone on uh, just in the last couple of years in the Hunter, where we have stood up regularly and said, look, the dust levels are all already over the national limit. You cannot control the dust off these mines. How could you conceivably approve any more? And it comes down to the jobs and the mm. royalties and the taxes. It is more important than anything else as far as the decision is concerned around coal mines. It's always a, a a false economy, isn't it? Because we've seen that in... I'm from Tasmania and that's a very common rhetoric there about jobs and employment. Um, but it obviously, as you, we all know, um, actually reduces the ability for people to get jobs in other industries because, like you say, the horse breeding and, and the wineries and things are significantly disadvantaged by these by the pollution. Well, and what we've experienced in the Hunter before and what we're probably looking looking down the barrel of now is once uh, all these new mines get up and going, the, the supply increases above demand mm. and the price of coal drops and mm. they just lay people off. Mm. So in 2014, 4,000 people virtually overnight lost their jobs in the Hunter mm. um, when mines went into care and maintenance or they, you know, they had their efficiency measures, which means lay people off. Mm. Uh, so no-one's job is secure in the industry. And we're talking about, you know, some of the largest multinationals in the world mm -hmm. whose budgets are bigger than the state government's budget anyway. Mm. And they have such political clout as we see with a Prime Minister cuddling up to a lump of coal in Parliament uh, and people like Matt Canavan just spruiking mm. the message that's developed by companies like Peabody Energy from from uh, America and, uh, you know, we've got Yang Coal, Glencore, you know, all the big players mm. and they're highly in politically influential. Yeah, he cuddles up to a lump of coal in Parliament, and then cuddles up to victims in uh, in Queensland and New South Wales, and can't see the irony of it mm. all, of course. Um, but um, on that point about the workers, we do know that you have to have a transition program for workers in these situations. Um, what is the attitude of the workers there to coal and possible transition? Do you know? Well, Sammy is a bit of a problem. Um, they really are also mouthpieces for the industry. Mm. Uh, they can see that they've got... That most people have got quite highly paid jobs and the industry uh, went down that road a number of years ago with a rapid expansion when they couldn't get people, so they just increased the wages until, 
people that are trained lawyers, you know, mm. or from all from all other walks of life, just sort of looked at the dollars and went, oh, I'll go and drive a truck around in circles for a couple of years, thank you. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's currently under threat because they're now trying to put everyone on on casualised contracts. So there's, there's a bit of angst over that. But mm. when we have, uh, like, public meetings uh, talking about the pros and cons of a coal mine... The workforce are there, you know, in their numbers. They're paid to go there. They're actually bussed there. They're in their high-vis reflective shirts and all standing up saying, I want my job, I want to pay me mortgage. So they're, they're totally captured by the spin from the industry, even though they'd get spat out tomorrow. Mm. So while the community really is trying to work hard in the Hunter to get a transition plan up, and there is work towards that, at least trying to get the government to, you know, get, give some of the royalties back to the hunter in a fund where a transition plan mm. could be properly developed. But as I say, the problem we have in the hunter at the moment is the industry tries to keep its fingers on everything that's going on and tries to manipulate it. And, you know, their message is without the coal industry, the Hunter region will be dead. Mm. And what the rest of us are saying, well, with climate change, guess what? You're going to have a lot of trouble operating your mines because a lot of them are running out of water. You've either got no water or too much water. Um, the, The business, you know, of trying to manage this stuff is at times they do have to change their operations or close operations down, although we're, we're, you know, there's not a great deal of evidence of that having an impact because there's these huge piles of mountains of, you know, raw raw earth (laughs) sitting all over the place and Mm. it doesn't matter what management you take, there's going to be dust blowing off all of that. Mm. So there's a huge range of problems there, uh, but the industry is determined um, that they keep the hands on the message uh, that they are the most important thing to the hunter. And we, you know, the community that's impacted by them on a daily basis think they're the worst curse. Um, that has ever occurred, that has ever happened to us. And and so, considering all of that, Bev, what what is broadly speaking the main um, thrust of of the community campaigns there? Where are you focusing your attention to try to get this to change? Well, we're we're always seem to be on the back foot because mm. because we won this major campaign to mm. stop the Bylong Mine. The New South Wales Minerals Council is now trying to get laws changed. Mm. Uh, they're trying to get rid of the Independent Planning Commission. You know, so that their reaction has been quite extreme. They can't politically afford to be seen to that, that you know any mine at all gets stopped for any sensible reason. Uh, so they're using their political clout as we speak. Mm. But there was a quite a good uh, protest in front of. New South Wales Parliament House yesterday where there were fire victims there and people protesting against this legislative change and tying the two things together Mm. um, that how can you even conceive of changing the planning law so that you don't have to consider the greenhouse gas emissions Mm. from the coal um, from a big coal mine in in the Hunter or anywhere in New South Wales so 
Yeah, we're 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 always um, you know <laughs> up against it with the power of the industry, but we keep trying, and and we've been really heartened mm. by the fact that finally there has been a sensible decision made in New South Wales about one mine, yep. but there were at the same time a number of other large expansions were approved um, in the Singleton area, and we've got a big proposal, as I was saying, right on top of Musselbrook um, mm. in the pipeline as we speak. So it's just an ongoing battle. Um, and so while communities near the mining impacts are still fighting these uh, proposals, there's also a campaign uh, looking at how do we transition the hunter out of the problem that we have. Mm. So there we've was, got a two-pronged approach going on there. There was that Land and Environment Court decision by Justice Preston, I think it was earlier this year, wasn't it, where he rejected a mine on the basis that you had to take its climate impact into account. That was a pretty encouraging start, wasn't it? Although although the companies themselves said he, he, he had, in fact, he'd ignored the law, but I assume the law from their point of view is they can do what they like. Well, that's right, and that's the Rocky Hill um, mine near Gloucester, um, and that was another good win, um, that 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 mine uh, will not go ahead. Mm. And it was Justice Preston's use of the current planning um, laws that weren't actually being properly implemented, um, so he implemented them, um, which is now... and that And then that cause gave us the um the in law the capacity to question the way uh the next lot of mining decisions were made so one of the other big mine expansions uh near singleton the independent planning commission decided that the company while they approved the mine which of course we objected to mm. uh they they required them to have an export management plan that showed they were only selling coal to countries that had signed up to the Paris Agreement, mm. which we thought was pretty lame because mm. that most of our markets, that's exactly what they've done. Mm. But, of course, the coal industry took great umbrage to that, mm. um, which is why they're trying to overturn the law that Preston implemented. And they're also trying to get rid of the IPC um, because they're actually implementing, you know, the law and government mm. policy. So uh, that that was the outcome of a number of decisions that were made after Rocky Hill. And while Bylong Mine was really knocked back on on the prime agricultural land and water, the the um, greenhouse gas emissions was another consideration, um, which is why you know the mining industry are now fighting back as hard as they can. We're going to have to wind up here, but just one very briefly, rehabilitation of these mines when they do end, are the companies doing anything about that? Well, we can't name one single mine in the Hunter that's mm. actually finished. Uh, they keep just putting in modifications and keep 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 on keeping on, uh, or they go into care and maintenance and just sit around. Mm. Um, but really... Um, you know, some of the older areas where the rehabilitation was absolutely shocking because 
um, the requirements at the time were non-existent. So from our campaigning over a number of years, there are now much more stringent requirements of what the final landforms are going to look like, but we haven't actually hit a final landform anywhere at all mm. in the Hunter. So we we can't tell. Okay, Bev, look, thanks for your time. We're going to have to wind up there, but um, thanks for your time and good luck with it all out there. Well, thank you, and thanks for the opportunity to tell our story. Okay, thank you. Thank you, you, Bev. Bev Smiles there, who's obviously an activist in that area, in Mm. the Hunter Valley, and uh, bloody disaster, isn't it? Wow, yeah, yeah, Yeah. and it's happening everywhere, so... yeah, it's a bit it's a bit tough to hear those stories, but I mean power and strength to all of the people who are doing these campaigns and keep at it. Yeah. Yep, yeah. exactly. And one of them is Matt Raquel who's fighting up standing up for nature in a couple of weeks, so we'll get to him after this break. Yeah. I just think that it's ironic that the state of Victoria want to treaty with Aboriginal people but have no issue in destroying our sacred sites. War is devastating on the environment. In peacetime, the military is a huge user of fossil fuels, a huge driver of nuclear energy, and ultimately the architect of nuclear weapons. Subscribe to 3CR in 2019, fighting for social justice and environmental change. And to all the people that are so afraid of the solutions to climate change that they choose to live in denial instead, the current solutions to the climate emergency are much easier to cope with than the outcomes that will come if we don't. Feed Radical Radio. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Follow, follow the sun in which way the wind blows. Outer Urban Projects and Lamama present The Audition a multi-authored work interrogating the protocols and power relationships of the audition process to uncover what it means to seek asylum. Director Irini Vela has assembled an exceptional team of award-winning writers, including Christos Tsiolkas, Melissa Reeves, Patricia Cornelius, Tess Lisiotis and Wahibi Musa, with Iranian associate artists Sara Davudi and Milad Noruzi, performing alongside Mary Sitarinos, Peter Paltos, and musician Vahidi Essari. The audition, 13th to the 24th of November, bookings at lamama.com.au. Outer Urban Projects, a 3CR supporter. 3CR. Oh. OK, on the line, Matt Raquel from the Victoria National Parks Association. Matt, we've just been talking to a resident of the Hunter Valley talking about the disaster of coal up there, but also seeing the disaster, of course, in all these bushfires at the moment. But as far as um, nature's concerned, and I'll get on to the specifics of the stand-up for nature thing in a moment, but... Um, clearly bushfires are a major threat to nature and so the, the whole thing's interrelated, isn't it? Well, that's right. Um, bushfires are a, 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 a thing that happens in particularly places like Victoria and Australia. Victoria is one of the most fire-prone places on the planet due to the sort of nature of our climate and our vegetation. Um, so it is a, a sort of a fact of life. Um, climate change will make the intensity worse uh, the frequency worse, um, so it is a challenge uh, both for nature and people. Though um, many ecosystems require fire to be healthy, so particularly things like grasslands, 
uh, require regular burning uh, if it doesn't happen naturally uh, by intervention to be healthy. Um, so do many, many of the drier ecosystems in Victoria. So um, it's a, some of them need fire, some of them uh, not so damaging, um, but it's always a challenge, particularly with lots of people in the landscape. Yeah, although, Matt, some, some experts are now saying that because of the intensity and frequency of fire, that those that require it, in fact, the, 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 if the fire comes again too soon, they stop reproducing. The seeds don't reproduce, so they can become extinct. So it, there's a real threat yes. because of that frequency. That's right. So some of it's... And this is a challenge in uh, the debate around prescribed burning and so on. Too many hot fires, too frequent, um, can certainly have uh, an impact on recruitment, but you also have issues, secondary issues, like the invasion of deer and so on, uh, which is at plague proportions in Victoria, um, come in after fires and, you know, they're hungry as well, so they'll eat any of the plants that are recruiting um, at the same time. So you've got these sort of double impacts that happen, so it's a very tricky space. Um, There is merit in some of the moves to look at things like lighter burns and traditional burning regimes, and they may work well in some places, but there's no uniform solutions, really, for nature and fire. Um, So, Matt, the Stand Up for Nature, um, can you tell us about that and what your role is uh, relating to that at National Parks? So we're facilitating... um, along with a range of other groups, uh, Peak Environment, Environment Victoria and um, uh, Australian Conservation Foundation and uh, the Wilderness Society and others, uh, a rally. Um, it's sort of five years uh, of the Andrews government. Nature needs more, and we mean um, not just in one particular issue like forest, which has been in the news a lot lately, but also uh, marine and coastal, um, you know, friends groups. We've got a whole lot of issues with Western Port, um, and development of gas terminals. Um, we've got horses uh, potentially still proposing to train on beaches down in Belfast. Um, and funding uh, comes and goes on the environment. Parks, for example, are, you know, only get about 0.4 or 0.5% of uh, the state budget. Um, so we're wanting to highlight in a positive way, you know, the needs of the environment and that there are people out there that uh, care about it. So encouraging people to come along, highlight their special place, um, you know, whether they're friends group or land care groups, um, so that we can show that there's there's support for more spending on nature and more action to uh, protect nature. Um, what? Well, you mentioned a couple of the threats, but what are the major threats to nature in Victoria at the moment? Well, uh, there's key ones. Um, so you've got things like logging, which are obvious, um, but you've also got sort of this package of slower moving threats. So we've got as I mentioned before, a huge problem with deer, uh, which, you know, is over a million deer in Victoria are the government experts now, um, and we need sort of coherent control programs for that. Um, we're also keen to see the reserve system in Victoria completed, so we've been running a long-term campaign um, to get forests in the central west around Dalesford at Wombat, uh, Wellsford up near Bendigo and Mount Cole out west of Ballarat, and there's been a a Victorian Environment Assessment Council report uh, presented to the government uh, a few months ago um, and they've got till February to respond. So we're keen to see uh, those areas uh, incorporated into the National Parks Estate, get the relevant funding that they need for establishment um, so Victoria can once again be a leader in sort of parks creation um, but also environmental management. Mm, so... Um 
so it's it's a it's an event to call on like call attention to the community, but also to call on the government to um, put its attention to the natural landscapes in Victoria. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. You've also see quite a lot of pushback on environment issues, ranging from some recreational issues. You'll see the debate around logging. So um, it's a way of getting all the desperate groups together um, to show that there's there is interest and support. Uh, in the community. Mm. Is National Parks in Victoria a government um, uh, organisation, basically? Oh, so we're Victoria National Parks Station, so we're a sort of community-based community organisation. We've been around since 1952. We don't manage the parks, though. So, uh, right. Parks Victoria are the government agency, so I we're see. sort of a community watchdog, if you like. I see. Um, or an environment NGO. Um, and our role, so as as the name suggests we're very interested in the integrity of the parks the state, but we also work on broader conservation issues, forestry, native veg removal, threatened species legislation, that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and so the, the state is responsible for a big chunk of land in Victoria. Victoria is the most cleared state, mm. um, and a lot of that's happened on private land, partly due to the way uh, tenure systems work, but... Um, so the, the more intact areas of habitat that we've got left, which are important for threatened species, but they're also important in the context of climate change. They're also important in the context of recreation and mm. well-being for people who use them, uh, mostly on public land. Mm. On that last point, um, the government decision last week to ban logging in native forests is all very welcome, but they've given them another 11 years to wean themselves off it. Um, that doesn't seem to be all that all that good for the environment. Well, I think the, the, there's important symbolism, I suppose, in a, or a political um, a bookend in a way that there is a stated end to native forest by 2030, but you're right, it is a long way off. And there won't really be dramatic changes in the proposed logging schedules, as far as we can tell, uh, until 2024, so that's another five years away, uh, and then there'll be a sort of step-down process of reducing the, the areas that'll be logged. Um, in the interim, there's a proposal for what they're calling immediate protected areas, which are uh, various maps in which it do include some very good areas in the East Gippsland, um, parts of the Central Highlands, but there's some significant holes in that, um, and they'll for example, in the Central Highlands, which uh, largely ash forests, uh, they will still be targeted heavily for logging in the next five mm. years. So um, it's a complicated package and it's um, a good in the sense that it's a political announcement. It is a break breakthrough, mm. um, but there's always devil in the detail and how it gets implemented and how secure it is because, you know, there's four political cycles roughly. Mm. You have to change government, it all gets reversed. It's um, mm. it's uh, challenging, mm. so, but but it, but welcome in the sense that it is a breakthrough. Um, it's the first time we've had government put an end, talk about forestry, native forestry as an unsustainable industry. So that's mm. important. Mm. So for people like um, myself, uh, Matt, who are not native to Victoria, can you give us a bit of an overview about the national parks? here and how they're used and um, how they're protected? So Victoria's got a pretty good national parks estate, so um, about 17% of the state is in uh, some sort of 
a national park or conservation area, mm. um, but there's still gaps in that. So there's probably uh, largely created through changing tenure from public land. And what I mean by that is changing from state forests, which mm. are largely focused on extraction for wood or um, other things uh, into protected areas um, or conservation reserves. So there's a whole lot of different tenures. Mm. Um, so they, uh, what we aim for with a national park system or a protected area system is to have a comprehensive, adequate or representative system. So you want bits of uh, the different habitat types represented in the protected areas. Mm. Um, and there are still some gaps in Victoria, probably um, about one to two million hectares on public land, a bigger list on private land, but the private land process is a difference usually done through uh, covenants and private landholders or purchased by people like Trust for Nature or Bush Heritage. Mm. Um, and there's probably more on private land than there is there's probably another million or so hectares there that, to get a complete representative system. So that's the goal. Some of that changes a bit when you're planning them due to climate change. Mm. Um, but we've got great Mallee parks. We've got a great Alpine National Park. Uh, we've got the Prime. And the, the, we've also got uh, about 5% of marine waters uh, in uh, marine national parks, mm. uh, so state waters. So uh, we've got a pretty good base system, which is really the foundation conservation um it's not the only solution so you need to build on that with other conservation measures um but it is really that sort of foundation for protecting our native habitats into the future increasingly important particularly in the face of climate change and probably rapid population growth too and of course we recently got that report about the levels of mass extinction of flora and fauna of, of species um, so i suppose that makes something like the stand up for nature rally even more critical. Well, that's right. So we're getting all these warnings from scientists and that's been going on for a while. We've got declines in species right across the globe. In Victoria, things like the greater glider, um, uh, which is a, a bit of an iconic species and it's been one of the key things talked about in the recent forestry package. Um, and it's the decline by some of the science pointing to 50% uh, and even higher, 50% in East Gippsland and higher in central highlands in the last 20 years. So we've got a real problem with ensuring the intactness of our uh, habitat types, um, but also keeping in mind that they've got benefits for people as well. Not, it's not just mm. all about sort of species. Um, there's a heap of research out there showing, you know, places in nature are great for mental health, um, you know, great for recreation uh, in a managed and appropriate way. Um, and so they, they play both a social and ecological role and are really an important asset to the community. Mm. I can imagine the meetings where it was decided, but why did you decide to have a rally on a Thursday? Oh, someone else was doing something on a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I just wondered. <laughs> but anyway, the rally itself, give us the details, Matt. So the, the rally's on the 28th. Uh, of November, so that's the Thursday. Um, tomorrow uh, fortnight. Sort of midday. Um, and uh, out the front of Parliament, um, we'll have you know, a whole raft of people. There'll be a few speakers. Won't be, won't be a long, drawn-out thing, but it'll be a couple of hours. So if you're around, please uh, you know, bring something to show the places that you really uh, want to protect and the places you love. And uh, 
uh, come and join us. So it's what time again? What time does it start and where is it again? Just repeat that. Uh, in uh, Parliament House Steps, uh, 12.30 uh, to 1. Right. Or oh, 12.30 to 2, yeah. About sort of an hour or so out the front right. of Parliament House. Yeah. Parliament. If we get a dollar for every time we've marched on Parliament, oh. geez, wouldn't we be rich? Yeah. <laughs> um. It is also the anniversary, roughly, uh, of five years of the Andrews government since it was the first election in uh, 2014. So that's the other sort of symbolism yeah. on it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, look, good luck with that. And we hope everyone gets there. We'll give it a plug every week. We've only two more programs before then, but we'll give it a plug. And I'm sure 3CR anyway will keep plugging it. And we've got a cart running in, or not called a cart anymore, but a promotion thing going. And Matt, thanks for your time this morning. And as I said, good luck with it all. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Matt Raquel there, who's from the Victoria National Parks Association, and they're one of the sponsors of the Stand Up for Nature, which is tomorrow week, and he said 12 to, no, 12.30 to 1 or 2. Yeah. Say that properly, I Kevin. 12.30 to 2 yes. at Parliament. Yeah, sounds right. good. Yeah. Excellent. All right, we're going to go out with a song, yeah. and then... Um, Next week's housing. Yes. Great. No, never shortage of stuff on housing. <laughs>